we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. This is Dr. Peter Bregan. I'm a psychiatrist, physician, researcher, and uh, this show is with my wife, Ginger Bregan. Hi, folks. You don't want to say anything about who you are today? You have music to go along with our introduction. <laughs> I do. Well, so with the music that in the back. That was to remind me to feed the Yorkie, <laughs> but that's done already. Well, it's a great thing to have a little music to introduce the show. And Ginger is an amazing writer. She uh, does basically our substack, and she's writing uh, features on America Out Loud that are stunning. And she has, after 40 years together with me, joined me in media work uh, with the encouragement of Malcolm, bless him. And uh, so she's beside me today, managing New Yorkie and anything else that might come along. Um, I want to take a moment uh, before we have an extraordinary guest. This is going to be, a, I think, an extraordinary show. And talk about America Out Loud Plus. Uh, Pulse. Pulse, uh, Malcolm's creation. Uh, correcting my, my mental processes has been a blessing <laughs> from Ginger. And we're integrating it well into our media performance. Yes, and our comedy routine. Um, uh America Out Loud Pulse is is on every 5 p.m., Monday through Friday. Um, and it has an extraordinary group of physicians who have each their own day. We are Thursday at 5 p.m. And I just haven't spent the time talking about these people enough. Uh, one of them is uh, Dr. Marilyn Singleton. And Marilyn is uh, both a uh, physician and a lawyer and an African-American, and she's just an astonishing human being. And we, uh, you know, we, we actually, I think, suggested her for, the, for this uh, wonderful show that Malcolm has developed. Um, another um, uh, day is with Jordan Vaughan and Dr. Stuart uh, Tankersley. They're both physicians. And uh, I want to publicly thank Dr. Vaughn. He was a part of the committee that brought me back to health from near death, it now looks in retrospect, the doctors were afraid, uh, from COVID-19. And um, this, uh, just a, a few days ago, I got a clean bill of health. I've completely recovered my lung function after several months. And in some places, ways, it's better than ever. So uh, that's a blessing, and I want to thank uh, Dr. Vaughn for his participation. Um, Peter McCullough, uh, who has been a friend for many, many years and a great supporter of good things in this world, and science in particular, has a day, and he's often on with um, Malcolm himself. And um, finally, uh, Dr. Harvey Reese, who's a physician and a um, an MPH, from, I don't know if he has a PhD or an MPH, but he's public health degree. And um, he's just a man uh, of wisdom and caring, uh, whom we had a very enjoyable interview with. He interviewed us as a couple. 
uh, for a, an upcoming um, podcast of his. So this is a great group of people, and um, you you can't do better than listening to America Out Loud at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Eastern time. And um, this show, all these shows are repeated at least once on America Out Loud at different times. And I, um, and then they just go out to the world, really, and are, are carried on all kinds of um, alternatives. They go to podcast, and you can find all of these shows under The Pulse or America Out Loud The Pulse in the various podcast uh, platforms. So I just want to do tribute. We have not that we apologize for not doing enough tribute in our own chaotic world, which we get together for our shows to this wonderful array of people. And all these folks also write features, including us, on um, the America Out Loud platform. We're columnists there, as well as having our own um, substack. That's about it on that. And I uh, want to thank Malcolm again for just, just being so brave and standing up on issues of freedom when, for example, we've come under attack and uh, attempts have been made to remove us uh, in one way or another. <laughs> All right, move, moving to our guest, um, Scott Shara, S-C-H-A-R-A. Uh, Scott has uh, been doing a lot of media and it's a new thing for him, I, I believe, and has gotten um, a, a great deal of uh, publicity around a critical area. And for him, it began with the death of his 19-year-old Down syndrome child, whom he feels very strongly was mistreated and that she's one of these victims of really uh, being killed by hospital treatment. There are certainly many, many people like that. As um, our friend Lee Vliet, Dr. Vliet, V-L-I-E-T, has, uh, who's also uh, uh, very active, um, has uh, spoken about and very active in terms of medical murder. Um, Scott's, by his own words, on a mission to spotlight the crimes of the American medical system. And... Um, he uh, has his own show, Deprogramming with Grace's dad. That's his daughter, who's gone now. Um, and that's on Rumble and on major all the major uh, platforms. He has a landmark lawsuit for what he calls the murder of his daughter in Scott Shara versus Ascension Health at all, and it is in the courts underway in the Wisconsin Circuit Court. He believes this is a one-of-a-kind, and I'm not familiar with anything else like this. Folks, I think this is incredibly, incredibly important. And um, the um, and, and I'll just give it over to Scott now, who's really devoting himself to this in a very profound way. Um, welcome to Peter and Ginger Bregan with on, uh, America Out Loud Pulse. Well, thank you very much for having me. Did I understand in your intro that the two of you have been married for 40 years? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and still giggling, 40 years of still giggling. Yes, that's right. Well, that's uh, so we're <laughs> we have 37 coming up here in November, and I 
you know, I, I always tell something about grace to introduce when I speak. And, you know, given the fact that you've been married 40 years, I think it's appropriate to tell you this story about grace. So grace it had quite a sense of humor. Uh, she was extremely high functioning. People with Down syndrome, you think of them as not being able to do much. Well, Grace did everything. She deer hunted with me. She she drove a car. Uh, she played violin. She rode a horse. She could public speak. Wow. She did everything. Uh, anyway, and she got humor, which that's, you know, outside of her hugs, I miss her humor the most. So it was November 15th on our 29th anniversary. Remember, 37 is coming up for us. So our anniversary is on November 15th. And we were outside pressing apples. We have an apple orchard. And I said to Grace, did you know that it's mom and dad's anniversary today? And she quipped back, happy misery. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's very sophisticated. Very. Um, I mean, how rare is that in in someone with Down syndrome? It sounds very rare to me. And and how do you account for this uh, this difference in her? Is it just upbringing? Well, I think I, I attribute it to three things. Number one, of course, is God made her that way, and she was quite a gift. You know, we we had thought we were done in the baby department, and when we were thirty nine, we decided to open up the baby department to God's leading, and He gave us grace. And, mm. You know, so certainly God made her that way. Uh, second of all, Grace was never vaccinated with anything. And wow. I think that, that really helped. And I think the most credit goes to my wife, Cindy, uh, who homeschooled Grace. And mm-hmm. of course, I did the homeschool things too, but not like she did. I got to do the the fun stuff like teacher to drive and deer hunt and those type of things. But Cindy really knocked it out of the park with with teaching her, she could, she knew every state and capital. She knew all the countries in the world and those and their capitals. I mean, it's hard to believe she was just, she was, she was, um, she was special. And more than her um, academic ability was her relationship with the Lord. She, she's the, out of all the people I've met since I, since I've been on this earth, she was the closest to God of anybody I've ever met. Uh, wow. She she had a peace and and a understanding that was fantastic. And I'll just give you one more story just to show you that example. And it it's gonna sound like we're arguing all the time, but I mean it's it's a good example. So my wife and I had gotten in an argument. This is when Grace, I mean, she was very young here, seven, eight years old. And uh so she said, Well, aren't you supposed to apologize? And mm. I said, Boy, Grace, that's right. And so uh, I apologized and Cindy apologized. And then Grace said, so that wasn't enough for her because she knew, and this is the magic of how she knew, knew the Lord is she wasn't about to accept the words. She wanted to see the actions. So she said, well, aren't you supposed to kiss? And <laughs> of course, one of us was ready to kiss and the other one wasn't. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Grace that's she was she was something so thanks for letting me oh i mean it's just that's very inspiring um it has so much to do with the beauty of life human life and um and of caring parents and the value of every life the value of every life absolutely well that's 
that's what we have found. I mean, the value of every life in this society today is different. And it's there's a, a culture of death and a banality of evil that people do not understand. But it's very easy to pinpoint if I explain a couple of examples. So Grace was disabled. All right. So just think through how disabled people are treated in our culture. And specifically, of course, you know, now I'm in the medical murder lane and in the medical murder lane, how are disabled people, specifically how are Down syndrome people treated? And statistically, 67% of Down syndrome people are murdered before they're born. So how does that even happen? Well, the young couple gets pregnant. They go to the doctor. He congratulates them. And then he sets up their amniocentesis. And they are blinded by the white coat. You know, we're trained to to trust the white coat. So they they go ahead with uh, that test. The test comes back and he says, well, I suspect your son has Down syndrome. I think you should have an abortion. And if they don't have roots, they will just schedule that. They have Their conscience doesn't even bother them. And that becomes an acceptable way to call disabled people. And when you push that forward as to, okay, what does that look like in real time? And I, I want to get into that in a lot of detail with Grace's case so that you understand it. Um, but first, I, I want to give you the other segment of the population. Interestingly, both of these segments of the population, they've convinced us through the spirit of collectivism that these are the people who don't deserve medical care. And it's because these are the Medicare and Medicaid recipients. So Grace was on Medicaid, and the Medicare and Medicaid accounts for over 50% of the federal budget today. And that's the excuse that they use to allocate, uh, Dr. Valit calls it attenuated care, which is right. It's rationed care. We rationed care for the disabled and the elderly. So in the context of the banality of evil or this culture of death, the elderly you know, I'm in the last generation. I'm 60 years old. I'm in the last generation that took care of their parents. Now, as soon as mom misses the mail one day, the kids send her off to a dementia center and, you know, it's out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, that has become an acceptable um, thing in our society to put mom and dad in nursing homes versus taking care of them. And so then when it comes time to really take care of them with proper medical care, they're on that um, level that Ezekiel Emanuel. So Ezekiel Emanuel is the, the architect of Obamacare. And he said, non-contributing members of society don't deserve medical care. And that mentality is all the way through Obamacare. Obamacare was passed March 23rd of 2010, and his attitude is throughout that document. And I, I'll go through that also when we we come back after the break. But we've got, I think, about three minutes left before the break. Do you have, you know, I gave you kind of a background first to set this up. What it? What's your reaction to what I said? One quick question. Didn't uh, Ezekiel Manuel, who was a physician, who is a physician, what was the age, the breakoff age limit for the elders? It was quite young, actually. Yeah, I. Do you what remember? I, I don't. I, yeah, I, I'm going from memory here, so don't quote me. Everything mm -hmm. else so far, it's not from memory, but I think he said 75 at the time. 
I think, yeah, I think that's right. Is he think so? I think that's low, but maybe not. No, no, he said 75. He, he said 75. It, it, it was, that was. But the, the attitude of, you know, who is he and his cohort to set that limit. Now, I'm 12 years past that limit. And I got a great book coming out with my wife, Ginger, and we're still giggling and uh, working and thinking and loving. Um, and I, we feel like we're into a second lifetime. And now. you brought our bestseller, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, out when you were 84. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. We, we, we are the prey. And that's why I can't get on enough programs and tell people this, because that's the only way to protect yourself. You yeah. first have to change your belief. If you don't believe we're the prey, you'll never be prepared. Well, Scott Shera, this is a, just an amazing introduction to each other. We're going to take a very brief break, and then we will be back. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. And we're back. That was Ginger Bregan. This is Peter Bregan. We're talking to Scott Shara and S C H A R A, and I think we'll just continue uh, without any uh, disruption of the flow. So, Scott, let's hear some more from you about all your insights and experiences. So, I I just will give you a brief story as to what happened with Grace, and then what's happened with me after. 
I realized what I'm calling murder um, of my daughter. So it was in October of 2021. Uh, we had been certainly part of the propaganda. I had already explained that Grace was never vaccinated, so we were wise to the, to that. But we were not awake to what this agenda is and the fact that we are the prey. We didn't have any idea of this. So we were on the FLCCC protocol. And so we thought Grace had COVID. You know, now when I see it all in context, I don't even know that she had COVID, but she had a cold. And so we instantly got her on the FLCCC protocol. She's on ivermectin vitamins. But the, the key thing that we did is we bought a pulse ox and we started measuring her oxygen saturation. And unfortunately, the protocol at that time said if the oxygen saturation drops below 94%, admit yourself to the hospital. And on October 6th, Grace's oxygen saturation dropped to 88%. Now that I understand what's going on, we really had no business even buying a pulse ox because we had no baseline on Grace. If we would have measured her oxygen saturation every time she had a cold or flu during her 19 years, we would have had a baseline and then we could have used our critical thinking to make a wise choice versus just following a man's script. Uh, so I know with 100% certainty, Grace would be alive today if we would have never taken her to the hospital. And I say that because of a number of situations where where oxygen saturation has gone significantly lower than that. On top of the, that reality, I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and I just about died on October 16th. And I was substantially worse, yet that hospital did everything opposite of the hospital that killed Grace, and they turned me around in 24 hours even though I was worse than Grace. Grace just had a sniffle with oxygen saturation at 88%. There's really no reason to check her into the hospital other than we were under the impression that that was what we should do. And so we fast forward to her last day. So we checked well, her and they And they accepted you because the hospital doesn't, uh, doesn't have to accept people. So, I mean, they're the ultimate responsibility. Well, I understand. I'm shining the light on me. This doesn't take yeah. away from what the hospital did wrong, but it's important for people to realize that fear, uh, what fear does to a person is you check out of critical thinking. And I checked out of critical thinking and my daughter is not here because of that. Now I'm going to switch gears to the hospital because I was with Grace in the room from October 6th until the 10th. And the, so this is pretty rare. You know, you've heard just about every story, I'm sure, that nobody was able to visit their loved ones. So I was in the room. I was taken out by an armed guard on the 10th. Then we hired an attorney to negotiate against the hospital attorney to allow my daughter to come in as a replacement advocate. And my wife couldn't do it at that time because she had COVID. So during that 47 hours that there was no advocacy, we found out afterward, after we get the records, of course, to prepare for the lawsuit. And way before the lawsuit, I had studied the records. Uh, and when I put together the pieces of the records, I see, well, they started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex on October 9th, the day before I was kicked out. During the 47 hours, we didn't have advocacy. Instead of taking care of Grace, they chemically restrained Grace with Presidex. They increased the dose six different times in the 47 hours that we didn't have an advocate. 
So now we move to Grace's last day, and it gets very nefarious because when you look at the details of her last day, the doctor called my wife and I in the morning, and the purpose of his call was to follow up on a call from the evening before to ask us for a pre-authorization to put Grace on a ventilator just in case. So Grace was never a ventilator candidate, nor should anybody be a ventilator candidate with COVID. I'm not a doctor, but I know what the statistics are. A ventilator has a 90% kill rate with COVID. I mean, so that's foolishness. But they wanted us, this was the fifth time that they asked us for this pre-authorization. And so we had already researched ventilators while Grace was in the hospital. So we said no for the fifth time. The doctor immediately switched gears and said, Uh, Grace had such a good day yesterday. Now, this is in spite of being sedated for four days at this point. She had such a good day yesterday. Let's work on nutrition. And Grace was malnourished at this point. And that's one of the reasons I was taken out by an armed guard because I was challenging feeding her and they just would not, they would not listen. They just would not feed her. So he said, let's work on nutrition. At this point, you know, we're still trusting the white coat. So you my mean wife they, they wouldn't sit, they wouldn't sit beside her and, and give her spoonfuls of food or they weren't even Correct. bringing it in? Well, I could order off the menu for Grace. I mean, the first yeah. situation when I tried to order off the menu and feed her on October 9th, the nurse came running in and said, you can't do that. I said, well, what's the reason? She said her oxygen saturation is only at 85%. So, you know, they have the big monitor in the room that they can see in the nurse's station and it reads 85%. So I thought, that's impossible. She can't be at 85%. She's been in the 90s the whole time. So I put my pulse ox on her finger and it read 95%. So I called the nurse back in and I said, is my pulse ox accurate? And she said, yes, it is. I said, well, then why is your monitor showing only 85%. Why is your your method of recording 10 points less than mine? And she said, well, because the leads get sweaty. So I said, if (laughs) that's known, if that's a known, why aren't you proactively changing out the leads? Because this is the primary statistic you're using to manage my daughter's care. And she shook her finger at me, Dr. Bregan, and said, you should just be thankful you caught this. These are the type of confrontations that were happening and ultimately led to me being taken out by an armed guard. So, you know, there was multiple of these type of things. So, you know, so now at this point, Grace is malnourished. And folks, I just want to, let me interrupt for a minute. Folks, this is very believable. The way that people are treated in hospitals and, and so on. I, as a physician, have just always thought I'd be getting a little bit more respect than, you know, than being treated like I'm nobody. And um, they don't even respect fellow physicians now. They have respect for no one. And to, then to be a Down's child, young woman, uh, the respect is going to go into total negativity. And um, I've seen this again and again just in, in, in taking mom. Uh, Ginger's mother to the doctor on one occasion uh, the uh, we had an assistant well I'm not sure but one of us didn't get in the room with her and some dermatologist took 17 uh, samples of her skin <laughs> uh, oh my gosh you know and um, you know it, this is what is happening and so this is very believable to me go ahead 
So back to them this last day, we're on the phone with the doctor. My wife and I approve a feeding tube. He says we should get Grace out of bed today, get everything moving, get the feeding tube in so the next several days she can get out of here. So we're thinking everything's fine. Now we learn after the fact that there was a window where my daughter Jessica was in the room that morning before the call. She had left to go take a shower. During that time that she left to take a shower, by the way, I took a shower in the room when I was in there with Grace, but the nurse insisted Jess had to leave. She wouldn't let her take a shower in the room. While Jess was gone, they strapped Grace down to the bed and they made her poop in the bed. So here he's telling her, let's get us get her out of bed. And what they did instead was they strapped her down to the bed. And while he was on the phone with us, they used the strapping down to the bed to increase Presidex further. While we're on the phone, they increased the Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. This is while he's telling us how great of a day Grace did. Let's get her out of bed. Simultaneous with hanging up the phone, the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. So, you know, the thought process when I see this eight minutes apart, 1048 in the morning, Presidex max dose, 1056 DNR order, you know, you look at it and think they must have thought this is going to take Grace out. And statistically, I did a lot of a lot of digging. I found out that they were at max capacity in the hospital at that point. There's no beds available. So when you look at the numbers, maximum capacity, you look at the pressure they put on us for a ventilator, we say no, a ventilator has about a $300,000 payday and still does, by the way, even though COVID is officially over, the emergency- Hang on, response. you need to explain that a little bit more because it's so unbelievable, that $300,000, that $30,000 payday, what that means for our yeah. audience. It's hard for people to grasp. That's right. I, I get this. It is very hard to grasp. It took me a long time because you know when you realize you've been lied to, it's very hard to have that percolate through your head. That's oh my right. God! Yes. Well, and result in the death of your beloved Correct. daughter too. Yeah. And now I can talk freely about it because I own this material because I've studied it myself, and so with. COVID, so you first you first everybody has to realize incentivized healthcare has been going on for decades. Okay, COVID exposed it. So I, it's very critical that people don't think COVID, because COVID is officially over. All we've got to realize COVID exposed this nightmare. Yeah, and it's continuing today. It's been going on for a long time, and I can prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. During the COVID era, they incentivized hospitals for a COVID diagnosis uh, with Grace's on a Grace's death certificate. The second cause of death listed is COVID nineteen pneumonia. They received a thirteen thousand dollar bonus for listing that lie on her death certificate. A ventilator, if you, they could convince the patient or their family to put the patient on a ventilator, they would receive a $39,000 bonus. And I said 300,000. The reason I say 300,000 is because the average time somebody was on a ventilator with COVID was 22 days. And when you- You mean it up, was per day? No, it wasn't per day. But when you add up the government bonus, along with the hospital patient payment from the insurance company, 
they maxed out the amount of revenue they could receive by having the patient in for 22 days. And it maxed out at about $300,000 average. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. So they would keep somebody. So if we would have approved a ventilator just to connect the dots, Ginger, Grace would not have died on October 13th. She would have died three weeks later. Right. And they would have had another 300,000 in their pocket by convincing us to put Grace on a ventilator. Yeah. I'm surprised that they even told you they were putting her on a ventilator. We certainly know of cases where people have been put on ventilators without permission and then insisted on keeping them and people had to go to court and and people died. Yeah, it's interesting because that was, uh, there was a couple of examples where they asked, you know, so like they asked about the feeding tube, they asked about the ventilator, but other things. So when I finish up her last day, you'll see they never, we didn't have any information about what they gave her until we looked at the records. So now the Presidex didn't kill her. So then they gave her lorazepam at 11.25 and at 5.46 and 5.49, they gave her two more doses of lorazepam. Well, lorazepam has a 12 to 14 hour half-life. So now she's got three doses of lorazepam. Her body is like being used as a syringe. Well, folks, let me explain. These are all all sedatives and they're compounding each other. Lorazepam is like Valium or Xanax. Um, and um, it uh, uh, these become anesthesias, actually, when you raise their uh, intensity like that. So it's like giving somebody general anesthesia, and that's going to compromise breathing and induce pneumonia potentially. And she Don't was know. already malnourished. Yeah. And if you looked at her, I already said they put COVID-19 pneumonia as the second cause of death. The first cause of death was acute respiratory failure with hypoxemia which oh, is a boy. direct cause and effect. If you look at the pa- the package insert for Presidex, you'll see it's right on. It says if you use this drug for more than 24 hours, it causes acute respiratory failure, period. There isn't an, it may cause, it says it does cause. So it's a direct cause and effect. But mm. then the real second cause of death was what they did after Presidex and lorazepam is they gave Grace morphine as an IV push. And she was, they gave her the morphine at 6.15. So in a 29-minute window, she had max Presidex, lorazepam, and morphine. That's what you do when you euthanize somebody when they're in hospice care in their last hour of life. So they killed her directly. And that's, that's the what true happens second cause. Dog. That's what that's happens the, when you put do- when you put dogs, your dog to sleep too. Yeah. How much morphine you was dog this? To, you know, what's the difference when you put a dog to sleep? is that they have the family around to say goodbye to the dog. Yeah, that's right. You know, they did this yeah. all behind our back. My daughter what was the, Scott, was what the, was the yeah. Scott, what was the morphine? Uh, do you know the amount that they pushed? Yeah, they gave her two milligrams as an IV push. Okay. And then they had another two milligrams ready to go if she didn't die. They had a four milligram yeah. order, and but she died in between. So and now, folks, there's there's just no medical justification from this story of giving this person any sedatives. I'm, I'm not hearing she was way out of control or anything. There's just no point to it other than to make her completely uh, zombie-like and eventually t- to kill her. It was, I can't see any reason. Yeah, after the morphine, so they gave Grace morphine at 6.15, at 7.27 she was dead. At oh, 720, God. 
it, between 6 feet 15 and 720 Jessica our daughter begged the nurses to come in she felt grace getting cold and they wouldn't even come in the room they hollered back cover her with a blanket that's normal so when Jessica called Cindy and I on a FaceTime call at 7.20, she was now panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. And she said, Dad, they won't come in. So we started screaming, save our daughter. And they still wouldn't come in. They hollered back from outside the room. She's DNR. And we said, she's, we screamed, she's not DNR, save our daughter. But they refused. Oh, and we watched her die on a FaceTime call. You know, when we get back, I know we're we're getting close to the break again. When we get back, what I want to do is dive into what I have found out. What I, because there's I have thousands of hours of research digging into how did this how is this even possible? And it's shocking. And I think it's very important for people to um to wake up to what is the reality in this country. Now, can people get um, written descriptions of this? Have you have you told the story in one piece online? I'm sure you have. Oh, sure. How um, do Grace's people get main, it? Yeah, on her main website, ouramazinggrace.net, I have the research into her murder documented under the tragedy tab. Uh, the 700 shows I've been on so far are in the news section. So if you go back towards the beginning, I have lots of of shows where I, you know, I told the entire story for an hour. So all the details. Um, all right. So Our amazing grace dot net. Okay. Thank you. We're going to go to break now. Change in the world. One person at a time. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
This is uh, Dr. Peter Bregan and um, Ginger Bregan on America Out Loud Pulse with Scott Shara, S-C-H-A-R-A. And he has a website, OurAmazingGrace.net. And in case you uh, haven't, haven't been here for the whole show, uh, he, his daughter had Down syndrome. And uh, from the story, seems to have been classically mistreated and really treated, as he says, uh, like a patient who uh, may be in stage cancer in a um, hospice and uh, you know, and uh, having reached the end of her life is is being um, you know kept from suffering. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that's done. Although Scott, you probably I'm sure you know more about this than I do. There's a trend now within the um, facilities that are supposed to be easing, you know, the death of people, uh, and they're turning into euthanasia centers along these same principles. And Ginger, I think you know something about that. But uh, Scott, have you looked at that, by the way? I have. That is where I've been investing my time because that agenda, and this is the the single most important thing I could, could tell anybody with ears to hear, is that we started this agenda and if you look at the news programs that are, that are peddling propaganda, they are consistently pointing at the Canadian MAID program, medical assistance in dying. And this is what the United States has become a professional at, which is projecting our sin onto other nations. Well, guess what? We invented all the nefarious things that I have tracked so far. And I'm going to take you to... March 23rd of 2010, Section 1553, which is page 141 of Obamacare. And if you have not read this, I challenge anybody to read it. You cannot unsee what I'm going to tell you. And it says specifically, the government may not subject an individual, that would be a doctor, or an institutional healthcare entity, that would be a hospital, nursing home facility, hospices, hospice care facility to discrimination on the basis that that entity does not provide any healthcare item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. So here you have it. In Obamacare, it says this is how they're going to kill us. And if there's a doctor with a conscience that doesn't want to follow the protocol, he cannot be discriminated against. All right, so then everybody would wonder, you read that and think, oh my gosh, there it is, it's in writing. This is this is the fact, we have a smoking gun, but they still can't make somebody kill another person, right? So, you know, I've drilled down Down syndrome more than probably anybody on the planet because Grace had Down syndrome. So they have to have training documents. So like when there's a law passed, now they have to have the regulation so that the law gets implemented, right? So there's what's called training documents to implement these type of protocols. So I found a training document from the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. So I'm from Wisconsin, you can tell because I'm the only one who doesn't have an accent. And what you see in this palliative <laughs> care... <laughs> so 
<laughs> Thank you, Ginger. <laughs> I give my humor away for no charge all day long. Thank you. Yeah, hardly anybody ever gets it, but thank you for that. All right, so Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin, they wrote a training document in July of 2011. Obamacare passed March 2010. Out comes the training document a year later. And the title of this document is Palliative Care for Patients with Down Syndrome. So it has three sections to it. The first section is, it's like introduction, body, conclusion. So the first section says causes of morbidity and death and Down syndrome. So they lay out about 50 issues that Down syndrome people have. So things like uh, chronic constipation, incontinence, congenital hip dislocation, blah, blah, blah. So they lay this out. They don't say anything positive. You know, if I look at Grace as a person, she was the best thing God ever gave us second to salvation. She was an absolute gift, but they lay out nothing but problems. So why do they do this? Because the body of the document says the lifelong toll on families is high. Part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by healthcare providers. So the healthcare provider is supposed to see this Down syndrome person as nothing but a problem to the family. And they need to come in and save this family from this nasty Down syndrome person that they've got to take care of that is nothing but a burden. All right, so then you get to the conclusion. So introduction, all the problems, body, this is the perspective. The, this, this person's a problem. So now we have the conclusion, whenever possible, Decision makers, that's the doctors, for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment to keep to make key palliative care decisions. All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. So wrap your head around that. That means that yeah, I know that I know the view of every single Down syndrome person on the planet, 100% of them. They want to live just like you and I want to live. They're no different. <laughs> so yeah. this training document envision now that applies to every disability on earth. It applies to uh, people with autism. It applies to the elderly because why? They've convinced us through this this lie of collectivism that People are too expensive. And, you know, we know, I mean, this is the single most important thing I've learned since Grace died is the satanic agenda for souls. You know, I believed in Satan before Grace died, but I didn't realize how, how widespread his influence is and how much control he has of everything. And now I see the population reduction agenda and how it's been sold to the medical profession, to the average person. Like I said, the young couple going in to have a baby, I mean, if the baby has any type of disability, they, you know, they're generally aborted. And you know, that's part of the whole population reduction agenda. So anyway, well, that's the yeah. I'm giving you some some hard things to wrap your head around. And then, you know, after you ask some more questions, I'll come back and I, I have a few more things to share before we're done. Well, I think all this is consistent with what we've been learning from looking at COVID-19 and uh, the policies. And we, we talk about it in COVID-19 and the global predators, and we're talking about it in a new book we're, we're going to be coming out with, um, which is ab about how the people who 
can be identified as global predators, as globalists, um, have a lot in common. I mean, they have no attachment to nation. They have no attachment to religion. They have no attachment to God, for sure. Uh, most of them don't even have political they may uh, attachments. They may say they're a capitalist, or they may say that they're a, a progressive or a radical, but they all work together toward a common agenda of dominating the world. And as a part of that process, they seem to uniformly, just about uniformly believe that there's too many of us. You know, we have to, I'm just realizing something that uh, aligns with what you're saying, Scott, and what you're describing in regards to the doctors and the nurses involved in both Grace's, Grace's death and doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals in general now. And that is, we have to move beyond what we carry in our minds as the stereotypes or the concept of a doctor or a nurse, which used to be that individual who could come and offer at the very least comfort and often really save a human being, certainly from a great deal of discomfort, pain, or suffering, and bring about a great deal of healing. And we, I mean, I've always thought of doctors and nurses as being very kind and caring, other than a few stereotypical examples on in old movies and so forth. But what I'm realizing is the same issue regarding how we think of doctors and nurses applies to how we think of, for instance, police. Because when I was growing up, you know, policemen were your friends and you could go to the police and get help. But then we've heard over the last month what happened in Maui, where the local officers in that community actually stood at each end of the highway where people could escape then told them they couldn't leave and prevented them from leaving the town. And so many of them ended up being burned alive or uh, driven into the ocean if they were lucky and surviving. And it's very hard for me to think about either police or physicians as being that cold, but it's this huge shift that's occurred. And I keep finding I have to correct my inner conceptualization of what I've carried all my life. I understand, Ginger. I'm in the same mindset. It's, yes. Um, you know, when it first started happening to me and you start realizing what's going on, I called it the Santa Claus effect, meaning, you know, when you're a kid and you finally learn that Santa Claus is not real, you know, your next question is, well, what about the Easter Bunny? What about the Tooth Fairy? Right. And, you know, that's... <sighs> That's what's been happening in real time for me because I didn't know any of this before researching into the cause of Grace's death. And then once I realized that she was murdered, well, then what's the reason? And, you know, it's, it is quite a, you know, it's a puzzle that all the pieces fit like a glove. And, yes. you know, ultimately I've concluded, like we were talking about right before we got on, medical murder is the number one cause of death in the United States. You know, it's common. People knew before COVID that medical malpractice, they called it, or med medical negligence was number three. So 
We had heart disease, number one, at 700,000 deaths a year, cancer, number two, at 600,000, and then medical error, medical malpractice, number three, at 400,000. But then with COVID, you saw the United States had 1.2 million hospital deaths. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And that number is very important to frame because we were number one of all 200 countries on the planet. And number two was India, whose population is four times that of the United States, yet their death count was only 531,000. So that doesn't make any sense, except for when you put it in the, the framing it in, in the book of Revelation, when Mystery Babylon is going to lead the world astray by its pharmacia. Well, the United States is doing that. We have We have become the country where medical murder is now number one. And it's not, you know, negligence, malpractice. That's That seems like it's an accident. But right now, it is not, these are not accidents. When you have, for example, I'll just give you a very pointed example that I learned about two weeks ago. Blue Cross paid family physicians and pediatricians in the last quarter of 2021 to give their patient populations the bioweapon. All right, so how much did they pay them? That's well, the vaccine. Well, That's the quote vaccine. You're correct, right. But so just wrap your head around this number. So the you know, family practitioner makes about a quarter million a year, 250,000 a year. In the last quarter, if that practitioner was able to convince 75% of his patient population to get the jab, he got a $296,000 bonus from the insurance Man. company. All right, yeah. so that so is that now when that person is maimed because of the jab or dies because of the jab, that's medical murder. Because now once they're maimed because of the jab, they need to go to the hospital or they get myocarditis, which you know they die 10 years from now, that's a murder. All these things lead you to one conclusion, which is this agenda is uh, being implemented at a a warp speed. And you said it perfectly, Ginger. If you don't change your view, you know, we think, oh, the doc, you know, it's a safe zone. The hospital, the doctor, mm-hmm. it's a safe zone. They took the Hippocratic oath, do not harm. Mm-hmm. Well, a doctor wrote me a couple of months ago when he heard me on a podcast and he said, Scott, just so you know, we haven't taken the Hippocratic oath in 30 years. You know, so, but that's been part of our programming. That's why my podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad, because I see we are, we're programmed to look at the world through rose colored glasses. Exactly. Right. There's a normalcy that we have to, our old normalcy, we have to push beyond it. We've got three minutes left. I I wouldn't mind just covering quickly how the legal system is in on this too, because we, we have a lawsuit, as I told you, you know, we have the first jury trial in the country. So the jury trial scheduled, uh, no, it's a three week jury trial. First day is November 4th of 2024, the day before the presidential election. And so we, we filed the lawsuit on April 11th, uh, the hospital and doctors. So we filed against Ascension Hospital, St. Elizabeth's Hospital, Ascension System, which is the largest nonprofit or second largest nonprofit hospital system in the United States, uh, the largest Catholic hospital system. We filed against the doctors and nurses who killed Grace. Why? Because we want every doctor and nurse to know they are on notice 
You cannot kill somebody and blame protocols. That does not cut it. So then the response is we had a, the, the hearing on July 14th for the partial motion to dismiss. And I just want to read a couple of things out of the partial motion to dismiss. So people, you only, you only got two minutes. So two minutes. All right. So the first one. So remember, I told you Grace had an illegal do not resuscitate order. Mm -hmm. The attorney for the defense wrote the DNR order should be dismissed. And what we're doing is we're, we have a, a one of our claims is to have the judge rule on this illegal DNR. He says the DNR order should be dismissed because A, the issue is not ripe for adjudication and or B, the issue is moot because Grace Shara, the subject of the order, is deceased. So remember, they killed her and right. they wrote the DNR. So then because she's not here anymore, the judge should dismiss it. Thankfully, he didn't. The other one, they, they want to put claims that all the states have this. They have medical malpractice in the state statutes. And when you sue under medical malpractice, there's limits. They don't ever want you to get into the intent. And, you know, in Grace's case, she didn't, we didn't have informed consent. If we would have had informed consent, Grace would be alive today. Well, that's intentional. That's an intentional tort. But the state statute puts that piece of what a doctor or nurse does underneath medical malpractice when it's not true so thankfully the judge saw through that too and ordered the jury trial but these are the type of things that happen but what a, a, we didn't file a lawsuit very quickly Go this ahead. federal legislation yes. that exonerates everybody carrying on their duties uh, under covid basically well, and thankfully we got around that but you know the more you know, we're not we didn't file a lawsuit to to make money. We filed a lawsuit so that we can shed light on this evil. And a lawsuit just gives us another platform to talk about what we just talked about today. Well, so. Scott, first of all, you know, we send our deep sympathy and our love and appreciation for what you're doing. And your family. Um, America is being, and the world is being overwhelmed by a progressive globalistic death cult. This is Dr. Peter Bregan. This is Ginger Bregan. And Scott Chiara, S-C-H-A-R-A. -A. Thank you for being on America Loud with us, folks.